what goes around really does come around. Uh, what you put in, you get out, and uh, it really works. Anybody wants to get something out of something, give, and it'll come back to you a thousandfold. Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Tom Rossiter. He's an octogenarian who's definitely making the most of his life. He's currently living in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland in Canada, where he spent a lot of his life, but he's been around the block a few times. Since this is the first episode of my own post-retirement journey, I think it's fitting that we're starting out with someone who has definitely taken the phrase carpe diem, seize the day, to its fullest. Tom, thanks for joining me today. Hi, um, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I know you've done a lot of things and I want to dig deep into all of the things that you're involved in. But let's take a moment first just to talk about who you are, where you came from and, and what's gone on in your life. OK, uh, yes. Uh, where to start? I, I, I think I've got to acknowledge immediately that God's been very good to me in my life. Uh, it's it's been a lot of living as you'll learn and uh, sticking my neck out a lot of time running scared maybe 90 percent of the time but uh, doing it anyhow uh, so to give you a sort of a bullet point uh, sketch of where i am i was born in february of 1938 and i went to school at st pat's uh, St. Patrick's Hall School in uh, St. John's, uh, half an hour from Mount Pearl, um, from 1944 to 1955, when I was 17 in grade 11. Um, uh, during the spring of 55, I drew a picture, and you might say, why is that relevant? If we get to that in due course. I got married in 1959, and uh, in 55 to 63, I worked with the Royal Bank. Uh, two branches in Newfoundland, uh, three in New Brunswick and a couple in Ottawa. And then I came back to Newfoundland um, uh, to work with Sears, Simpson Sears for two years, spring of 63, 65. Uh, and then uh, I went over with Electrolux, uh, no, sorry, with Woolworths. Uh, they were opening their new store. It was the biggest in Canada at the time with an escalator. And that was fantastic for Newfoundland. And I was credit management uh, there from uh, 65, the spring of 65 until August 72. Uh, while I was there in the in Woolworths uh, in the late 60s, I bought uh, an eight bass piano accordion. And again, that has some relevance that we can talk about later. Um, in August of 72, I left Woolworths to become a doctor. At the time, I was 30, 
72, do the math, I was 34. And uh, I had no money and six kids. The oldest was eight, uh, the oldest was 12. And um, people thought I was crazy. So I did it anyhow. Um, you didn't have to have a degree to get in med school at Mon, at Memorial University. You had to have 20 credits. And by doing five, six terms in a row, I had 28 credits. And I got accepted and went into med school uh, in uh, the fall of 74. Um, I've got a few notes here just to keep the thing running the right way. Uh, I was came out of med school as a doctor in 79 when I was 41. And then I worked as a GP in Mount Pearl, general practice Mount Pearl, uh, from 1979 till uh, the 20th of June 12, when I was 74, when I retired. Uh, a few interesting things along the way. I made a stained glass window um, in September of 1995, um, the fall of uh, 95 until April 96. It took me eight months to do that. 364 pieces of glass. We can talk about it a bit more after. My wife died in... Uh, I saw an opera in April the 4th of 98, which is going to be of interest to you too. My wife died in the 22nd of April 98, two, three weeks later. Um, I started studying Italian in September of uh, 98, and I've been practicing meditation with a mantra since the early 80s, and I can talk a little bit about that. Hobbies would be walking, hiking, reading, studying Italian, practicing El mio fisarmonica in Italian, my accordion, and volunteering. Um, there was one lady who died in um, January of 19, and um, for about six, seven years before that, on Sundays, I'd give her a drive for a while. She died at 102, and uh, it, was, it was very nice. And for the last two years, I've been volunteering at an old age home. Uh, playing the piano, according, dancing. Once they realized I could dance, uh, my stock went up immediately. And uh, we have a great time dancing. Um, and other than that, I think that's, that covers it. Um, I'm still A&W, alive and well. And uh, <laughs> in school. V was somebody in Viva's diarrhea. Um, A&W was alive and well. So uh, I'm 84 at the moment and Kisa, who knows? <laughs> Over to you. And that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I, I really like the idea that you're volunteering at a senior citizen's home. You're going in, you're dancing, you're singing for them, you're playing your accordion. That That's fabulous. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I realized that started on the 5th of August 20th. And um, so it's coming into two years now, but it's, it's really something. And uh, I'm getting just as much out of it as they are. It's a really win-win situation. Anybody wants to get something out of something, give and it'll come back to you a thousandfold. And I, I was sort of surprised at that. I don't know why I didn't uh, didn't realize it as much until I went there. Yeah. So let's let's go back through all of the things that you've done. You talked about drawing a picture back in 1955. So what was the picture about and what 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 significance does it have now? Well, back in 1955, when I was 17, 
somebody should have given me a knock on the head because I was reading a number of books that I probably shouldn't be. Uh, this was like Dark Knight of the Soul, um, St. Teresa of Avila, and a whole lot of other um, mysticism books. And one was a book by Thomas Merton called No Man is an Island. Uh, there's the book. Can you see it okay? Yeah, I can see it. Um, yep. It's called No Man is an Island. And um, Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk uh, living in a place in called Gethsemane, I guess, in, in the U.S. And um, there's a picture of a, a monk there on the side. I don't know if you can see that or not. Just a little bit. Yeah, we can see it. So that's what I drew um, at the time on a... On the back of a piece of a piece of um, Christmas, wow. Christmas, Christmas wrap. <laughs> can, can you see it? Yep. Yep. Um, wow, it's well, big. I drew that in '55, and I said someday I'm going to put this into a stained glass window. So now you fast forward 40 years, onto 1995, and I said I've got to get at my stained glass window. As you could see, I still have the book and I still have the drawing. So yes. between um, candles, Danini white wine, quality chocolate, uh, music and incense, uh, it took me... Um, Pull it back a bit. From, from September 95 till April 96 to do this stained glass window. It's about uh, 21 across, I think, by, by about 35 inches. Wow. And um, uh, and the fellow in the middle, that's the drawing that you did. That's right, yes. And uh, uh, the insignia around it would be the different religions. It's interesting because when I did it, uh, a few years later, I had donated this after my wife died to the multi-faith chapel at um, Health Science Complex because this insignia symbols are symbols of different religions and one of the priests there at mass one day said can you write something about this to explain the symbols because people are asking and I actually had to look up a book by Karen Armstrong uh, and uh, another a few authors to find out what all these things meant because when I did them I didn't know what they meant and one friend said it was interesting that I had uh, the positioning and the rest of it, it would be some significance to some people. Like, it, it was weird, because I wrote the explanation in 2002, whereas the thing was done in 1996. So, uh, something else was at work doing this as well as me and the quality chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> well, the wine and the incense. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I don't know if they still have the Nini wine or not, but... <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to look for it. <laughs> Anyhow, I think it's interesting that that you drew the picture in, you know, as a seventeen-year-old, and still had the plan to build it or to make it into a stained glass window later on. Yes, well, I, I'm not sure where the, the foresight. Again, I think there's so many things that are working in our world that that we're not really conscious of. You know, I said when I drew the picture that someday I'm going to put this into a stained glass window. So 40 years later, okay. I said, then you do. Yes. You know, who, Kisa, who knew? Yeah. Yep. 
So you talked about becoming a doctor and you were already married, you had six kids, you were working. How did you fit being a doctor into all of that? Um, well, back in 55, when I finished grade 11, the message was, we've done the best we can for you, so go out and get a job. And I ended up going with the Royal Bank for seven years. Uh, but two guys on the street, one across the street, one down the road, they went to university and as it happened, they became doctors. And I think I would have liked to have gone to university, whatever about being a doctor, but I couldn't. So it was something that was relatively in my mind for years, I suppose, somewhere in the unconsciousness. And uh, um, Memorial opened a med school in 1968. And uh, we returned uh, uh, in 63, I guess it was, from the Royal Bank to go to Sears. So I was, I was in St. John's when that was happening. Anyhow, uh, it was that that decided me to, what the heck, go for it. I took a course, a couple of courses in the fall of 71 while I was working full time and the spring of 72. And I found I, I could handle them all right. So, uh, I didn't have any money and people, uh, I got some advice, um, which was forget it, you're crazy, you got six kids and you got a mortgage and, <laughs> you know, what are you gonna, how are you going to pull this off? So, but I went anyhow for it and I left work full time in August of 72. Now your next question might be, well, how did you manage to pull this off? Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Woolworths were kind to me. They said, you can work on the weekends, Friday night and Saturday. Uh, we'll pay you $2 an hour. Now, you've got to remember, this was back in, in the 70s. You could fill your gas tank for $6. A loaf of bread cost, I don't know, 29 cents or something. And uh, anyhow, Woolworths would pay me $2 an hour. So I was guaranteed three hours Friday night and eight hours Saturday, 11 hours, 22 bucks, plus 3% commission. And usually on a weekend, if you wanted that Chesterfield or that hair dryer or that book or anything, I would run and get it. And I'd sell $3,000 on the weekend. So I would wow. pick up 90 bucks there plus the 22. I'd pick up a hundred and a quarter on a weekend. That wasn't too bad at all. The mortgage was 106 and I was picking up a hundred on a weekend. So it was four times that. And of course the baby bonus, Newfoundland was calling a baby bonus. I think they call it something else now. Um, child allowance or something. Um, Anyhow, that was about $6.50. So that was another $37, $38 we were getting. Uh, I won't say what, if the expenses had gone too bad, I guess we could have had another child, but I would have been, I would have been good. So uh, I did that for the first three years of regular med school, a regular university, and for the first year of med. And then as we were getting into the spring of 75, which was my, the end of, uh, in the end of my first year, the first year made started in fall of 74. So I was trying to find out how can I make a killing, literally, figuratively, whatever, to make a lot of money fast. Uh, you know, drive a dynamite truck and go up north to Labrador or something, find a, an oil rig or something. Anyhow, I went to Electrolux, which was across the street, and uh, with the idea of maybe selling Electrolux. And the guy said, have you done this before? I said, no, I haven't got a clue. I don't even know how to plug it in. Anyhow, he showed me. But in two months, I sold 102 Electrolux. I made over $10,000 in the two months. 
I had never made ten thousand. When I left Woolworths, I was only making eight thousand. When I left the bank, I was making four thousand. Sears up to six thousand. Woolworths eight. And in two months, selling Electra, they wanted me to quit med school. They would give me an <laughs> office and they give me a staff. And I said, no, I'm very, very hungry, but I'm not leaving med school. <laughs> so that, that's, that's how uh, I immediately put away two two hundred, sorry, two thousand dollars that I in our RSP, so I wouldn't have to pay income tax on it. And then January of the next year, which would be January of seventy six. I immediately took it out because from then I, I wasn't able to work. I was just too busy studying. Yeah. So that, wow. that's the story of how I wanted to go to med school or why and uh, how I financed it. Yeah. So if anybody needs a, a vacuum cleaner, you're the one to sell it to them. <laughs> Back then, some people <laughs> still remind me if I go to Costco, there's a few people recognize me as a patient, even with the mask on. And other things to get to your electrolux. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, that's great. And you're, you started um, learning the accordion. You bought yourself an accordion uh, very early. Yes. Um, Woolworths had a sale on one time, and I bought a, an eight bass piano accordion. And um, fortunately, at the time, one of my brothers, my sister, sorry, my wife's relatives, one of her brothers, um, who was a Jesuit in St. John's at the time, had a book about self-teaching yourself piano accordion, and he gave me the book, uh, maybe 20 pages. But thank you, God, it was, it showed the right fingering on the left hand and, and the rest of it. So I didn't have to unlearn anything. It was just a matter of then of working. And I learned a trick very, very early on. I think it was must have been before med school. Uh, I could never get anything the first or second or 500 times, but if I did it 5,000 times, I would start to get it. So it was only a matter of being interested enough and loving enough to shut up and start doing it sort of thing. And, yeah. and it works. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a good, uh, a good lesson for anybody. If you keep doing something long enough, yeah. you'll work it out. And if, and if you're going to do it that long, you must want to do it and Love like it. it. Um, yeah. There's the piano according Wow. It's um, so, uh, Paolo Soprani. It's an Italian one, and it's 96 bass. And wow. it's it's a lot of fun asking my right hand to say, hang on a minute, I've got to find where the G diminished is on the left hand. Because you can't see these buttons down there. They're down there on your side. And yes. there's only three of them that are marked middle C and the E above and the A flat below. And you've got to know where everything else is and know where to go as to keep up with the right hand. It's all sorts of fun and it'll, it'll, it'll go on forever. <laughs> yeah. And so that's one of the things you do at, uh, um, at the seniors home, you play for them? Uh, yes, um, um, and I can play the right hand without any problem and some kind person told me lots of people just play the right hand but the challenge <laughs> and the fun is still in learning the left hand as well and of course it sounds so much better when you've got the the bass and the and the minor chords and then the diminished of course so, yeah so you're you're throwing in a lot of italian through our conversation you started learning italian quite a while ago as well uh yeah that's a, a that, that that too is an interesting story uh, i did mention 
that I had seen an opera in April of 98. What happened there, my wife Jo was dying of breast cancer and as I said she died in the 22nd of April. Um, sometime April the 4th actually, uh, no, a, a week before April the 4th, we were at the health signs and they gave her the choice palliative care or home and she chose home which was fine. And we went out to Cape Spear which is on the outskirts of St. John's looking at the waves for a little while thinking about this and her getting her mind around this business again. And um, on the way back they advertised La Traviata was on at the Arts and Culture Centre uh, which was beautiful. And I said, do you want to go to see the opera? She's sitting in the car with an oxygen tank in her lap with nasal prongs running six litres a minute. And she said, yeah, that'd, that'd be an idea. How, how do we do that? I said, we get a wheelchair and way to go. So April, 20, uh, April the 4th, uh, rainy, cold night in Newfoundland, we went to the opera. And uh, uh, I wrote an article on that. And I think I'll, I'll end our talk by... Uh, by uh, uh, going into that 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 poignant piece, but she did die April the twenty second, and I'm home alone and feeling fine about it. Uh, in the fall of ninety eight, and the Depriant, the three part form, came out for the Arts and Culture Centre, saying what was coming on in the fall of ninety eight and the spring of ninety nine, and Labo M was coming on in ninety nine, and. I said, oh great, I'd better go to see Labo M now to be like me and Joe seeing La Traviata there six months ago. And this thought comes to my mind, instead of going to see it, why don't I get in the choir and be a part of it? So I did, and I joined the wow. Newfoundland Philharmonic Choir. Now I was going, then this little voice says, damn it, if you're going to be singing Italian, why don't you take Italian? So I said, okay. <laughs> so I went out to Coles and paid $27 for a living language book two cassettes, a small dictionario, and um, a phrase book. And I have a ghetto blaster, still works beautiful. And uh, I realized that if I wanted to learn Italian, if I could say buongiorno, I could learn as much as I wanted to. All I had to do was go over, as I said, 5,000 times each or something. But, um, and that's how I started learning Italian. And, um, I was at l'Università uh, di Perugia in 06 for a couple of months and Michelangelo Scuola Italiana in uh, uh, Lautuno uh, for say 2013, 2013 for three months, uh, six hours a day. And I didn't go crazy, but I'm still learning Italian. <laughs> and I get to know from Italy, it's a beautiful country. and. Uh, naturalmente l'italiano <laughs> yeah yeah so wow spending time in italy to learn italian that's a that's a wonderful uh, accomplishment i think oh yes and the gelato is fantastic um, yes <laughs> one of the first times i went there i think i had something like 102 gelatos in the month that i was there uh, <laughs> the next time i had 29 or something so i got a bit more sensible <laughs> well, two two a day to one a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've done a lot with your Italian. I know you you talked about uh, um, 
visiting with a with a a, a bishop. Oh um, yes, um, there was a retired Archbishop Archbishop W. J. Carew, who had worked out of the Vatican uh, for forty years. He had been a papal nuncio in um, in Japan, I think, and in Israel, and he was in Africa for a time too. So I phoned him early in. 2003 and said I know you're um, after working in um, in Italy uh, your grace would you mind if I drop down and uh, because I'm interested in learning a bit of Italian so that was the beginning of the relationship where I, I visit him once a month from about 03 till he died uh, four or five years ago and uh, we didn't spend very much time really with the Italian but we enjoyed each other's company and it was really really good yeah, but that was another another one of my friends that uh, a volunteer as, as an example. Yeah. Yes. So volunteering is a is a big a big part of your life. I think you you talked about the the uh, the lady that you drove around. How did you start doing that? Uh, there's a bit of a story to that. A lot of them are stories. I was going out with this this lady's daughter in ninety. 798 while I was here in Newfoundland before I got transferred to Grand Falls, Newfoundland, where we opened up the second the branch of the Royal Bank, which would have been the second branch I was in. And um, her name was Mrs. Butler, and her husband's name was Hector, Heck Butler. I didn't realize it at the time, but my father, who worked Longshore, and Heck Butler worked Longshore, I had heard the word Heck Butler a number of times in my house before. I realized the connection. Anyhow, one night I walked this uh, young lady home. She was 16, I was 19. And while she was upstairs doing something, Mrs. Butler asked me to go down and get a bucket of coal, which I did. And uh, when Betty came down, she was very upset that, my God, a stranger in the house, and you're asking to go down and get a bucket of coal, for God's sake. But so. Uh, this is where I first met Mrs. Butler, way back in 1958. But eventually, over the years, I saw her as a doctor. And then uh, when I was retiring in 12, uh, at that time, her sister died. And she was sort of all alone. Uh, so I started giving her a drive. Anytime I wasn't in Italy, on Sunday afternoons, we would go for a drive. And she would tell me all about the whole world. And of course... Uh, doing the math, she died at 102 in 19, so she would have been 95, 94 then, and back then I would have been whatever, I'm 84 now, so I would have been uh, 10 years, uh, I guess, yeah, 74 maybe, yeah. So one of the things that uh, we talked about a while ago was uh, an article that you read or that you are familiar with about ways to uh, stave off Alzheimer's and you had rhymed off to me a bunch of different things that you could be doing and, and I'm sure that you're doing all of those things. I was wondering if you could remember some of them. Um, I know you talked about learning a language and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I didn't bring that article with me but it's in a Scientific American book and I think I gave you the reference uh, if yep. anybody is interested. But it was called a non-study, N-U-N, non-like in convent. And apparently docs in maybe Wisconsin in the U.S. were following these sisters for years and years and years with the idea, the proviso, that 
they would get the brains when the sisters died. And two sisters died at age 90, one having Alzheimer's for two years and the other having it for 30 years. So the pathognomonic item you see in the brains of Alzheimer's patients are, is uh, tangles and tau, T-A-U, protein. And they figured, well, when they opened the brain of the one with a 30-year history of Alzheimer's, it would be loaded with this junk. And the other one, two years, not too much. They opened it, and there were the same amount in each one. And they figured, what the heck's going on here? There's something, you know, why 30 years and only the same amount, two years? From that, and when they looked back, they realized the sister who had the problem for 30 years didn't do anything for 30 years, didn't study, didn't socialize, didn't get interested in life or anything. The other lady lived her life right up to the time she was 88, and then she got Alzheimer's. So the docs um, extrapolated 10 or 12 items out of that. The first one was a bit facetious. It said, chose your parents wisely, which is really <laughs> difficult. But from then on, and again, you wonder what, what is going on in your life, because it said, learn a, a second language. You know, I had been learning language since 98 uh, because it's using another part of your brain that you're not actually usually so bilateral not bilateral bilingual people French for example French and English they got one up on, on unilingual persons because they're using another part a second thing was learning musical instrument there again thank you God I can, can take it off because I was doing that from, from 98 and uh, uh, it said be social and again, I mean, uh, COVID was a bit of a nuisance, but I'm sure nobody had such a social life as I was having, because despite the mask, I've still been able to, to get around and do a whole lot of stuff. And of course, walking, non-smoking. Uh, so that's that's a, a bit of a, that's for sure. And meditation, that was something else. And you've done that for quite a while as well, the meditation. Yes, since the early 80s, there was a man a Benedictine monk, his name was John Maine, and he was born in 1926 and he, uh, in London, England, and he died in Montreal in 82, I think it was. I have a note of it here. Uh, he died 30 December 82 in Montreal after being invited over there and opening a monastery in Montreal. And um, there's a, a number of books out that he wrote and also... Uh, his um, predecessor, uh, uh, Father Lawrence Freeman, um, is uh, um, very active in it now. This is a book by Paul Harris, who lives in Ottawa, and it's a very good reference to tell anybody who's interested about uh, uh, meditation. There are okay. different types of meditation. John Kabat-Zinn writes, wherever you go, there you are. And that's a mindfulness meditation. This is a mantra. And uh, uh, I, I think um, there are spirituality aspects to that, which I don't think I can, I can speak to. But there's also the physiological aspect. Um, it's supposed to be a great help for, t uh, for people uh, with recurrent major depression, decreases anxiety, decreases heart rate, decreases blood pressure. You may even be able to get off your BP, uh, blood pressure meds if you're, if you're into meditation. And uh, it's simple, 
but it's not easy or the other way around it's 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 not easy but it's simple all you have to do is sit and say a mantra so uh, with that reference and google i'm sure you can find out a million things about it yeah so i think you're you're living proof your life is is living proof that there are so many things that we can be doing to make the most of our life and to live a long happy life um just just in the examples that you've given you know learn another language get out and be social that sort of thing and it all leads to what i mentioned at the beginning the idea of of seize the day carpe diem and and i know i i want to hear the the story that you wrote and i think that 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 it it just fills fills the gap completely. It tells us exactly what we need to to know to live the best life we can. Uh, yes, I think that that's true, and uh, uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, be active. Um, what goes around really does come around. Uh, what you put in, you get out, and uh, it really works. The story was written. Uh, and it was published in the Canadian Journal of Diagnosis in July of 2002. And it's called A Night at the, A Night at the Opera. Numerous authors such as Anthony DeMello, Ticknet Hang, who just died very recently, by the way, Stephen Levine and Joseph Goldstein, in writing about meditation, awareness, mindfulness and living in the present moment, could tell variations of the following story to illustrate their point. A man jumps over a cliff to elude a tiger chasing him. As he falls, he clutches a twig growing from the side of a precipice. As it slowly comes loose, the tiger swiping his claws to reach him from above and the waves are crashing down below. He's hanging there and he sees a ripe berry growing from a bush in front of him and reaching out he plucks it and pops it into his mouth. How sweet it is. Joe's breast cancer had first been detected in August 1992 and that fall she had a lumpectomy and radiation treatments. It wasn't until the spring of 96 that an insidious persistent cough heralded the return of the disease. Metastatic spread was confirmed by chest x-ray and diagnostic pleural tap. From September 96 on, she had treatments with tamoxifen, fluorouracil, adriamycin, cyclophosphamide, taxotere, and a couple of others. And since January 1998, she had five liters of fluid aspirated from her pleural cavities, all to no avail. On Tuesday, March the 31st, she was released from the H. Bliss Murphy Cancer Center. Um, nothing more could be done to try and halt the cancer from sapping her life away. Essentially, there was nothing left to do but go home and die. Instead of going home, we went for a drive to Cape Spear. And as we watched the waves and Joe trying to get her mind around what's coming up, and the way home, we remembered or heard on the radio that Verdi's La Traviata was on at the Arts and Culture Center that weekend. And I asked her, would she like to see the opera? She's sitting in the car with an oxygen tank in her lap, nasal prongs running six liters a minute. And um, she said, 
<laughs> if we can pull it off, sure. So I got tickets, and on Saturday night, April the 4th, we had our night at the opera. Joe was beautiful, with matching pearl necklace and earrings, just a touch of raffiné, in a wheelchair with an oxygen tank on her lap, and nasal prongs running five litres a minute. I'm sure no one there that night enjoyed La Traviata more than Joe did, and no one, but no one could identify more with Violetta, who, as the final curtain came down, died of respiratory failure. At 4.40 a.m. on Friday, April the 17th, Joe's heart rate went to 160 beats a minute, with a respiratory rate of 60 a minute, in a frantic, futile effort to supply oxygen as ever-increasing bilateral pleural effusions relentlessly decreased her lung capacities. She died peacefully the following Wednesday night, April 22, 10.35 p.m. of respiratory failure. She died serene, radiant, in her own bed and on no medications. She was something else. She used to say, life is not a dress rehearsal. The moral of the story, carpe diem. Yesterday and tomorrow, the past and the future, our mind constructs. Nothing more. They do not exist. Sure, pay your RRSP, but realize now today is all one has. As John Kabat-Zinn says, wherever you go, there you are. It really is as simple and as complicated as that. It was John Lennon who said, life is what happens while you're busy doing other things. So seize the day, smell the flowers, hug, love, whatever. Carpe diem. That's it. That's beautiful. And I think that's, that's so true. Exactly what Joe said. It's life's not a dress rehearsal. You only get one shot at it. Yeah. Get out there, seize the day. Yeah, and 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 I think you got to learn to love yourself. Give yourself a break. There's nobody can screw us if you don't mind me using that phrase. Nobody can get to us as we can ourselves. And half the time it's on our mind, and it's the program where we got and the crap we got from society and parents and everything else and religion. So be kind to yourself and. Uh, I, I, I think it makes a difference. It's a hell of a thing to come to die and not realize that you have never really lived, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for being with me today, Tom. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. To check out the video interviews, please go to my YouTube channel at bit.ly forward slash beyond retirement. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond retirement. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes.